to Psalm 119. And while you're doing that, I want to I highlight uh, two things. Number one, uh, we had a great men's retreat. Um, if your husband or friend went on that, please ask them about it. We had a great time. Uh, Jeff Sickles from uh, Snohomish Evangelical Free Church uh, did a great job with uh, using medieval chivalry to help us understand biblical manhood and the virtues of being a godly man. He even, and I totally didn't even know this about him, but he practices um, a Japanese combat art that involves a live sword. And so he came, and you can see a little bit there, there's a picture on Facebook, our church's Facebook page, but uh, he gave us a little demonstration. I think John got some video on his phone, so we'll, maybe we'll put that up. Oh, okay, you only took stills. Okay, well, it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty awesome. So uh, please ask uh, the men in your life how it was. Make them tell you what they learned. And, uh, men, if you weren't able uh, or uh, just weren't sure about coming this year, um, as we do this in the future, I would encourage you because it was a great time just over at Camp Casey. Um, so many of you did not suffer through the Camp Casey mattresses, but it was only for a night, so we'll all be okay. Um, the other thing I want to point out is the budget proposals, the actuals listed there are older actuals. They're the, the, the most updated ones we have currently, but obviously like with the men's retreat is not included in there yet because we haven't paid for all that stuff on the credit card yet. So um, we will continually be updating the actuals on that. So just wanted to make you aware of that in case there was a question um, do, when you had a question about the actuals on the budget proposal. The other thing is, is last week I, uh, I said I was going to make aware, make available, make aware, make available a proposed job description for the proposed associate pastor. Um, I talked with Charlie Worley during the week, and he convinced me to uh, present it in a different format than I was originally considering, and I did not have time to reformat it this week, so I will make that available next week in a better format. Uh, that will be more accessible according to Charlie. I'm just going to take his word on this one. So thank you for your patience that you are going to give me in the future. <laughs> like how I did that? That was nice. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's turn to our text. We've been working through Psalm 119 and, and, and the many uses and aspects of God's word. And this week... This week, as I read through the text, I thought a lot about the story of the prodigal son. This is a parable told by Jesus. It's one of the more famous parables of Jesus. It's a story about a son. And the son takes his inheritance early. You know, we can understand that a little bit as telling the dad, I wish you were dead faster. Wants his inheritance early, and he goes, and he spends it on worthless things. Spends it on wicked living. And after he spends all his money, lo and behold, all of his friends are gone. And he finds himself sitting in a pigsty, so hungry... He's even willing to eat what the pigs have. He's jealous 
of the pigs. Talk about a low place to be. Where you're jealous of food's food. And looking around, thank you, thank you. I thought a lot about that one. <laughs> but obviously this, this place of destitute, of sorrow, and of pain, and of immense need, and sitting there in the slop, he says, I'm going back to my father. The father that he really communicated to, would you die a little faster so I can have my money? In that pigsty, he realizes he has to humble himself and go back to his father. And I love this story because I think it actually helps us understand the stanza of the psalm we're looking at today. That God's word is used to bring us back home to the Father. That God's word is used to call us back from ungodliness, to call us back from wickedness, and calls us back to follow Jesus. And that in the process, sometimes God uses his word to help us that the suffering to help us know that the suffering we're going through is actually God's discipline to bring us back home. And so our big idea this morning is that God's word calls us to repent, to turn around, and follow God's ways. So the first point of this, and we're going to look at verses 25 to 29, the first part is this verse, the, the stanza of the Psalms, helps us understand that my way was wrong. Let's look at verses 25 to 29. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told them my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. The opening verse to this stanza helps us to understand the the reality of the psalmist's life. My soul clings to the dust. Again, picture the prodigal son sitting in the slop of the pigs. That, that his life is hard, that he is suffering, that he is in the midst of trials. And the only way for life, the source of life in the midst of his trouble, is asking God for life according to his word. That in the midst of suffering, he clings to the life that God's word offers. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about suffering here, so I want to say a couple things about suffering that we need to understand when we read our Bible. 
And, and if you want uh, to do some more reading about understanding suffering and a theology of suffering, I recommend two books. Uh, John Piper, When the Darkness Will Not Lift. It's a short little book. Recommend that. And then a more, more in-depth study would be How Long, O Lord? Reflections on Suffering and Evil by Dr. D.A. Carson. And, and when, you study theolo- when you study suffering in the Bible, there are three main categories of suffering. One is that we suffer because we live in a fallen world. That, that sickness and death exist because our world is broken. And we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where there is no sickness and no pain because there's no more sin. That's one reason that we suffer. Another reason we suffer is that people are sinning against us. And we saw this in last week's stanza. That, that others do wrong to us when we have none, done nothing wrong to them. That we can suffer not because of what we have done, but what others are doing to us. We saw this as we looked at First Peter. But there is a third way to look at suffering. And sometimes we suffer as a consequence to our sin. Sometimes we go through hardship because of what we have done. Because of bad choices we have made. Because we have rejected God's way and tried to go our own way. Now, we make a couple mistakes with this. One is we assume that all suffering is because of the evil that one person did. That you're suffering because you did this. And that's just not true. Jesus answers this when he heals a man who had been born blind. The disciples ask him, who sinned? His parents or him or he? And Jesus answered, no one sinned in this, but this has been done to bring glory to the Father. The other way that we miss this is is where we, we always assume that suffering is not the consequence of wrong action. And so the answer in part of, in your Bible, is that sometimes God uses suffering in your life as a negative consequence to bring you back home. And this is why we need to think about suffering before we're in the midst of it. We need to think about it before it happens because, you know, if someone is in the midst of suffering, I'm not going to say to them, well, let's weigh your options here. Is this suffering because you live in a fallen world? Or is this suffering because of what you've done? Or is this suffering because of what someone has done to you? That's not the time. The time is to do it beforehand so we understand what we're going through. But in this specific text... It's that third view of suffering. That he is clinging to the dust because he had strayed from the paths of the Lord. Just like the prodigal son. He ran away from the father and found himself in a pigsty. Theodore Beza, who is a theologian after Calvin in Geneva, was writing household prayers Uh, to be used by pastors as they visited those who were sick. 
And part of this examination, part of this pastoral care that Theodore Beza uh, trained his pastors in was a teaching that God can use diseases as discipline. In summarizing this, Dr. Manich writes, The pastor therefore prays that this form of divine correction will accomplish its necessary effect, namely, that the sick person will repent of his sins and submit to God's will with confident faith. Sometimes, and again, hear me clearly, sometimes... God uses sickness, God uses suffering to wake us up. To show us that you are not living according to my will. And the psalmist is doing that right here. Look look at verse 26. So he says, my soul clings to the dust, give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me, teach me your statutes. I think the best way to understand this is, is, is confession. I confessed my ways to you. And we know that because the next line there is, teach me your statutes. I confessed my ways to you. I confessed what I was doing, but, but I need you to teach me what you want, because I'm not doing what you want. And when he does confess, when he does repent, he knows that God will listen. You know, maybe there's a time in your life where, where you realize the consequences of your actions showed you that you were not on the right path. When you realize that your way is not God's way. We know that we can call out to God in repentance. And when we call out, he listens. That is a promise. That whenever you find yourself straying from God, whenever you find yourself in that pigsty, you can always come home. 1 John 1, 9. Wonderful verse that needs to always be in our heads. That if we confess our sins, if we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God hears our confessions. He promises to. And he is not a liar. And when we do confess, there is forgiveness and grace. And we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. But notice... Notice in verse 26 that there's an admission of that guilt, there's an admission of the wrong way, but then there's that that desire to learn God's way. And that's a part of repentance, where we say that, that, God, I am wrong, but I want to be right. Teach me your ways, God. Use your word to show me your ways. Because I've tried my way, And it's a whole lot of not working. And in verse 27, we see how how that teaching is done, that God teaches us through his word. Look at verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts. Now I want you to see their way. Verse 27 is, is used five times 
in eight quick verses. See, this is a hint. Something's important here. Okay, so we have the contrasting of my ways and the ways of your precepts. We're going to keep seeing that contrast of the whole thing. But, but how do we understand the ways of God's precepts? Look at the second half of 27. There's a prayer for understanding and then a meditation, a steady, a, a holding on to, a, a, a sometimes memorizing meditation on God's word. And I will meditate on your wondrous works. Where do we see the wondrous works but in the Bible? That's why all those stories are in there. That's why all those miracles of Jesus are in there. So we can see the power, the saving power of God. But but, but why does he need it? Why does he need this? He reminds us in verse 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. We need to understand that when we stray from the way of God, we're straying towards sorrow. When we depart from God's word, pain comes. Because we're not following God. Because his rules are, are, are all there for our good. Again, there's this idea that all the commands are just to kill our fun. <laughs> but God's word leads to life. And it's the only way that leads to life. But again, we can, we can resonate with verse 20 because there are times where our souls are melting with sorrow. Now let me say that, that this verse, while in the particular context is talking about a suffering we experience because of our, our sin. But that doesn't mean we cannot also cling to this when our suffering is not because of our sin. Because what does he say? In the midst of this overwhelming sorrow, he prays to God for strength. Strengthen me according to your word. That when you are in the midst of any sorrow, whether it's the consequence of of a negative action or just, it's hard. We pray for strength in God. We run to God. We run to him as our fortress. And we run to him through running to his word. Strengthen me according to your word. There's a recognition that I can't just pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I can't just will this to happen. I just can't make myself stronger. God, I need you to strengthen me because I am overwhelmed with pain. The strength to endure suffering 
is found in God and God alone. And he communicates that through his word. And so if you are suffering, you need to run to God's word. If you are sorrowful, you need to run to God's word, not to the bottle. Run to God's word. Find strength in God's word. But there's a recognition in verse 29. There's this recognition that it's because I've, I have walked my own path, which is different than yours, God. And, and there's this prayer for a new life. Look at verse 29. Put false ways far from me. He's saying, I don't want to live this sinful life anymore. Now, maybe some of you can, you feel that that verse right there. Maybe some of you have a past that you are not proud of. Maybe some of you still feel the pull of that old life before Jesus. And there's that prayer to God of put that far from me. Get that life away from me. And how does he do that? How does he put that life away? By graciously teaching me your law. That as we're taught the new way, as we're taught to be followers of Christ, we can put away that old life. And as believers in Christ, it stays there. Because God will answer that prayer. God will put that old way of life away from you. Remember, when we, when, when, when we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's promised that, and he keeps his promises. But verse 29 also creates a contrast with verse 30. Because verses 30 to 32 are these declarations by the psalmist. That in light of verses 25 to 29... That in light of these false ways that he wants nothing more. He doesn't want any more of these false ways. And in verse 30, he makes the transition to to the second point on your outline there. that, That your way, God's way, is right. Again, the repetition of the word way. And we contrast in verse 29, put false ways far from me. Look at verse 30. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. So putting away that false way, that way of falseness, and embracing and committing to a way of faithfulness, a way of faithfulness to God's way. There's a choice here, isn't it? Which way are you going to go? That was actually the first title of this sermon. But anyway, I won't digress. But he says, 
I, I put away those false ways. And then verse 30, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. That, that his goal, that, that what he is looking at as his motivation is not his own way, is not these false ways that lead to death and pain, but rather he puts before himself the ways of God. He puts God's word right in his vision as he goes forward. He's not looking back to the old life. He is looking forward to his new life. This reminds me so much of Joshua 24. Joshua is speaking to the people. He says this, verse 15, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. We, we all have to make this decision along with the psalmist in verse 3 that, that, that there is that personal decision. That personal decision to say, I am going to follow Jesus. And it's, it's a decision we make that first time when we, we put our trust in Jesus Christ. But it's also a decision we have to make every day. That today, I am going to follow Jesus. I'm going to choose the way of faithfulness. Not the way of falsehood. Verse 31, he, he, he will choose the way of faithfulness by clinging to his testimonies. I will cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. Notice in verse 25, he's clinging to the dust. And now he clings to God's word. That, that, that a part of our endurance in the way of faithfulness is not loosely holding the word of God, but clinging to it for life. We need to cling to God's word. Because that gives us the endurance, that strengthens us, even in hardship. And it leads us to verse 32, which I think is just an amazing verse. His, it's his fourth declaration. He says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies. Verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Very common in the Bible, and we've already seen it this far in Psalm 19, is this idea of, idea of walking in the way of the Lord, of living. That's a way to describe life. Right, very common metaphor in your Bible to walk in a way. But here he intensifies it. Because remember, this is poetry. <laughs> this is a song. <laughs> so he gets a little artistic license here. He's not only going to walk in God's way. He's going to run 
in God's way. And that's full, that's full commitment. You know, when you're walking around, you know, you're, you're in your house, and it's dark, and, and your, your 13-month-old is crying because he needs another, another lunch or whatever. <laughs> Not that this is a personal story. <laughs> i tell you that, boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you're walking in the dark, right, you're going to walk slowly because you don't want to step on the four-year-old's toy, you know. <laughs> Again, this is not a personal story or bump into any furniture. But you're not going to run because you just don't know what's there. You're going to run into something. You know, to run, you really got to commit to running. And you got to have space to run. And, and you got to know where you're going. And that's the picture the psalmist has for us. There's a confidence, there's a boldness of committing full out to that run. And he runs in the way of obedience. He says, I'm not just going to walk in obedience, I'm going to run in obedience. And he takes off. What does it look like in your life to run in obedience? There's a certain intensity to that metaphor. That, that I'm no longer content to just walk through my Christian life. I'm going to run after Jesus. And I want you to think about that. Well, what needs to change in your life to run after Jesus? To run after him according to his word. Will you get some holy discontentment in you this morning and say, I'm, I'm done just walking and I'm ready to run? And, and he's able to do this. Let me explain the last line there. This is, a, uh, this is an idiom. He says, when you enlarge my heart, it's a figure of speech, okay? It's given to us there literally, in the, in the ESV to help us understand that this is a figure of speech. And the idea here, and you see it in your footnotes there if you're using the Pew Bible, this idea of, of your heart being set free. There's a freedom here. That's probably the best way to understand that here. That there is joy and happiness and freedom that God gives us so we are able to run after him. And it's a prayer. God, give me freedom, joy, and happiness to run after you. I'm tired of sitting in the mud. And I'm in the mud because of what I did. I'm ready to come home. And so again, we need to ask ourselves... Is God using hardship in our lives to show us that we are not following him? And again, this is one one way that God uses hardship. Again, I don't want that to be missed. Okay, I want that to be clear. And if you have questions about that, let's talk about that later. But one way that God uses hardship is to show you you're on the wrong road. 
You're in the wrong way and you need to turn around and get in his way. You need to get on his path. And how do we do that? We do that first with repentance. Let me read you from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he, God, may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. There's a recognition that we need to have that when we are straying from God's ways that we are on a wicked way, that we are on a sinful way. And the first part is recognizing that. You don't know you're heading towards a cliff till you see the cliff. But when you recognize the cliff, you better turn around. Continue on in Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. There's a recognition that I need to get on God's way. And my way is leading to death, but his way leads to life. What is that Lord's way? How do we find the way? Matthew 7. Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So here's Jesus using the same metaphor of two ways. One leading away from God and one leading towards God. And in John 14, what does Jesus say? John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That the way of the Lord is found in Jesus Christ. And we know about Jesus through his word. But this picture of, of, of turning around, of repenting from our ways and getting right with God through Jesus, who is the way, the only way to the Father. He says, no one can come to the Father except through me. And I need to ask this question. For some, for some of you... You've never turned around. You've never recognized the, the way that you're on leads away from Jesus. And for some of you today, you need to say, look, God, I am a sinner and I am going down the wrong way. And I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me and to put that old way behind me. And I believe that you sent your son to be the way. That through his death on the cross, 
I can be forgiven. I can be following Jesus in the way of faithfulness. And that one day, I'll be with you where there is no more suffering and no more pain. And for the rest of us, if you've already made that commitment, it's a daily thing. A daily thing of repentance. A daily time of turning around and turning towards Jesus. And confessing that sin. Receiving forgiveness. And walking behind Jesus. I want to close with an interesting story my friend pointed out to me. It's the story of Abraham Piper. When Abraham Piper, who's the son of Pastor John Piper, at age 19, Abraham was excommunicated from his church, his dad's church. Now, uh, you can find uh, Pastor John's side of the story and his recounting of it, but this is from his perspective. And, 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 And Pastor John, as he talks... He relates the pain of having to do it. But I think that you'll see here it was actually the right thing to do. From Abraham's perspective, he's looking back on this. And this is, uh, this is an excerpt found uh, in Decision Magazine, which I believe is from the Billy Graham Association. Um, I, have a, I have a link if you'd like it later. But I want you to hear, this is Abraham talking about being excommunicated by his dad's church. When I was 19, I decided I'd be honest and stop pretending I was a Christian. At first, I pretended that my reasoning was high-minded and philosophical. But really, I just wanted to drink gallons of cheap sangria and sleep around. Four years of this, and I was strung out, stupefied, and generally pretty low. Especially when I was sober or alone. My parents, John and Noel Piper, who are strong believers and who raise their kids as well as any parents I've ever seen, were broken-hearted and baffled. I'm sure they were wondering why the child they tried to raise right was such a ridiculous screw-up now. But God was in control. One Tuesday morning before 8 o'clock, I went to the library to check my email. I had a message from a girl I'd met a few weeks before, and her email mentioned a verse in Romans. I went down to the Circle K and bought a 40-ounce can of Miller High Life for a buck twenty-nine. Then I went back to where I was staying, rolled a few cigarettes, cracked open my drink, and started reading Romans. I wanted to read the verse from the email, but I couldn't remember where it was. So I started at the beginning of the book. By the time I got to chapter 10, the beer was gone, the ashtray needed emptying, and I was a Christian. I read you the story because it is a great example of God using hardship to push someone towards the word And through the word, he reveals himself. 
I love that last sentence. By the time I got to chapter 10, the beer was gone, the ashtray needed emptying, and I was a Christian. And sometimes God will use hardship in your life to push you towards his word. And when you're in his word, he will show himself to you. God calls us back to himself through his word. God calls us to repent and follow Jesus. God's word helps us to see that our ways are not God's ways. And God's word calls us to leave the pigsty and come home to our Father. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, that you would use your words to convict us when we are not following you. When we are on our own way that leads away from your son, Jesus Christ. God, use your word to show us our sin and our need for repentance. And use your word to show us that there is forgiveness and life through the death of Jesus Christ. And that through your word, you would call us out of the pigsty and call us home to you, our loving Father. And God, that we would run in obedience after you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.